All right, we are in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel. Um, we've been just exploring the life of David. You know, it's not very common, I feel like, to work our way through Old Testament books on a Sunday chapter or chapters, but our hope is that as we walk and work our way through 1 Samuel, we see that the people in their hearts have been longing for a king, longing for a good king, a just king, a righteous king. And what is that longing really, what are they really longing for? Ultimately, what we see in 1 Samuel is this desire for a righteous, good, godly king, and it's not really satisfied in any king. Saul fails them. David will be maybe the best version, but he'll still fail over and over. There is this longing in our heart for a kingdom, a kingdom where there's peace and justice and love, and that there's never going to be a kingdom without a king. And ultimately, this creates a longing for King Jesus, the King of Kings. But what we see in the Old Testament as we read about David or Saul, we kind of see anti-types, how not to live. And we see kind of types of, the, of, of Christ, of the Messiah, of the King, of like how, how he will act, how he will rule. So as we're working our way through this, we've been in the life of David. David is the anointed king. We've been spending time with, on David's journey in the wilderness. Just so you kind of are like aware, Saul wants to kill David. He's bitter. He's jealous. The people are singing his praises. The people love David. And Saul is incredibly bitter, incredibly jealous. He's pursuing David time and time again. We see him constantly trying to you know, fight him, kill him, destroy him. Here's kind of where we left, out, left off. In chapter 24, if you remember, David's in a cave. Saul shows up to use the bathroom, essentially. David has an opportunity to kill him. He cuts off a piece of his robe. He doesn't kill him. He shows Saul as soon as he leaves the cave. He's like, Saul, it's me. I was there. I could have killed you. I didn't. Saul repents. He goes, what have I been doing, David? You've been nothing but loyal to me. And he goes, I will no longer try to kill you. Last week, we kind of hit pause on that story. We looked at the story of Abigail and Nabal. If you remember that story, you can go back and listen last week. But David was about to make a terrible decision. He's about to make a Saul-like decision and destroy uh, Nabal and his men. But Abigail intervenes. David praises her and says, thank you. I almost took salvation to my own hands. I almost took matters in my own hands. That's very dangerous. Thank you. I almost made a Saul-like choice. And if you remember now, now this is where we pick up. Uh, we're going to actually see Saul, chapter 26, try to kill David again. And like, what's changed? I have no idea. It's really bizarre. It's the weirdest story. Saul's like, I will never, I, I cannot do this. David, you've been so loyal to me. I won't kill you. Chapter 26, it's like, now Saul's trying to kill David again. Uh, the thought maybe is, we know that Samuel died in chapter 25. Maybe his thoughts are Samuel's dead. I can pick up where I left off. There's no longer some like, spiritual authority right now to protect David. But either way, chapter 26, where we pick up today, the story continues where, Dave, where Saul is pursuing David's life. And we're literally going to read basically, not the same exact, but a very, very similar story in chapter 24. David has an opportunity again to kill Saul, and he doesn't, and then Saul repents. So here's what I want to do today. Here's kind of the focus today. Uh, the title today is simply, Deja Vu, Have You Learned the Lesson Yet? Because what we're going to see, and I want you to just like bear with me, in chapter 26, it's very similar to chapter 24. Then in chapter 27, David's going to go to King Achish, the king of Gath, the king of Philistia. He's going to go to him and seek help. This is what David did in chapter 21. It's almost like Saul didn't learn his lesson. David did. And then David doesn't learn his lesson in chapter 27. And there's lesson after lesson that's kind of repeated. And I'm actually excited to go through this because when I was like first studying this, I'm like, God, this seems like we've already taught this. Like we already looked at this. We already saw this. And I really do feel like there's this idea of like, God's like, yeah, but they didn't learn their lesson yet. And why is it that in life so often we go through the same experiences over and over again? Why is it that you feel like, God, you already put me through this test. 
Like I already did this. Why am I going through this thing again? And I want to look at that. Because if you ever feel like God has put you on repeat, sometimes he does. If you ever feel like, God, I already went through this. Why am I going through this again? God's like, I don't know if you really, did you really learn what I was trying to show you? Did you really receive all that I had for you? Do you really get it? I think so often God allows us to go through similar moments in our life to kind of wake us up. Maybe you think you overcame it. Maybe you think you, you, you beat it. And God's like, I don't know if you really did or if it's ingrained into your heart. So I want to look at these stories, chapter 26 and 7, which are like a repeat of chapter 24 and 21. And I feel like the Lord is trying to teach David something and by doing that, teach us something. Yes? Amen? So why don't we do this? Why don't we pray? And why don't we ask the Lord, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach us? Because these are the narratives, these are stories we've heard, but obviously if you're repeating it, it's important. Obviously say it twice, you want us to learn something, so what is that? So let's just kind of invite the Lord to speak and move. Can we do that? Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, I, I just so believe your word is from you. This is your word. This is your breath. This is inspired and divine. And Lord, I, I just am um, thankful. I'm confused at times why I see repeat lessons or maybe repeat, repeat stories. And even in my own life, God, when I feel like I've already been through this, why again? Lord, would you teach us? Would you help us not grow cold? Help us not have an arrogant heart of we've heard this before, we've seen this before, but Lord, what is it you want to do? What is it you want to teach? Jesus, how is it that you want to move in our lives? And we just want to give this over to you, Lord. So we thank you. We praise you. We ask that you would speak. Holy Spirit, we are just open to what it is you want to do. God, encourage us, rebuke us, lift us up produce life in us, God, whatever it is, we just ask that you would just work in us, and we, uh, we just give this time. In your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, I don't know if you've ever had one of those deja vu type of moments, but they are so bizarre. Uh, if you've ever had one of those moments where you're like with your friends in a house, and you're like, okay, I, I know we just, I've been here before, right? Deja vu is really weird, like, because, you know, it, uh, it's like a French word for like already seen, it's kind of one of those, those, I don't know, it's those weird experiences that really don't matter to anyone else but you. If you've had one recently and it's the weirdest feeling, but you just like sit in a room, like a baby cries, like a cup falls, and you're like, well, I've done this. Like, it's weird. It's like, this happened, I was with friends, and usually like, you try to tell people, like, I'm in a deja vu moment. They're like, why is this like, you're like, if there's no significance. It's like, it's just like a normal moment. You're like, I don't know, but it's really crazy. And you're like, yeah, good for you. Like, no one cares. But for you, you're like, this is trippy. This is really weird. All right, and I feel like sometimes when I read the Bible, you see these like deja vu moments. It's Jesus feeding the 5,000 and you're like, doesn't he feed thousands again? Like there's these stories I feel like on repeat, they're similar but different. And when we come to stories like that, it's like, okay, Lord, what is it you're trying to do? What is it you're trying to teach us? I don't want to miss out on this. Listen, I want to say this. If you've ever been in that season of life where you're like, I've already been through this. I've already experienced heartbreak. I've already lost my job. I've already, already gone through this, God. Like, why are you do, letting me go through this again? I'd say, don't waste that. Like, what is the Lord up to? That eerie feeling you get like, Lord, I think I've been through this. God's like, I, I don't know if you learned it the first time. Or maybe you did and like, there's that, that testing of like, let's see what it produces. Let's see the fruit of that. You did get it. Good job. You, you handled it differently this time. And I feel like there's these stories on repeat to kind of experience that or draw that out of us. God's like, maybe I'm not done yet. Maybe you think you overcame this, but you really didn't overcome this. You guys tracking with me? I think that's what's happening in David's life. Because it's fascinating. David just had victory in chapter 25. He was about to make a terrible choice. He's about to kill Nabal and his men. Nabal's wife, Abigail, is like, please don't. 
You're, you're a different kind of king than Saul. And she like pleads with him. And he's like, thank you. I almost took salvation into my own hands. Thank you for like waking me up to that reality. And now he has an opportunity to do what he just did in chapter 24. He has an opportunity to show that he really did learn his lesson. I actually want to share this also briefly with you because I want you to kind of know where I'm going with this. Um, we're in 1 Samuel 26 and 27. We're going to do two chapters today again. All right, I know you guys can handle it. It's less verses than one chapter last week, okay? So I know you can do this. But we're going to get two chapters again. And here's kind of how we're going to finish our, our text. I want you to see this. Um, next week, we're actually going to jump to chapter 30. Because I'm going to do 26, 27, and I'm going to reference chapter 29. Go ahead and read it on your own. Chapter 29, I'm going to reference it at the end. It's only 12 verses, and it plays in today a little bit. Just 12 verses, kind of like a side story. And then next week, we're going to jump into chapter 30. It's a side story between David and his wives and then Malachi's kidnapping. We're going to look at that story. And then what we're going to do is we're going to end with chapter 28 and 31. Chapter 28, if you remember, Saul sees a medium. He sees uh, Samuel in this. We'll talk about this. A lot of questions come up from 1 Samuel 28. And then we're going to see basically the end of Saul in chapter 31. Those stories go together. So it's kind of episodic. The way the author writes this, it's kind of like you can you pull out almost different episodes, and I want to combine them so we can kind of see the flow of it. So we're in the life of David right now. We're going to look at David, and then we're going to kind of see the, just the end of Saul. So we only have a couple more weeks, and then we're in 2 Samuel. Yes? Good? You guys ready? All right. So here's the idea. Um, when we're talking through this, when we're talking through this, there are some deja vu moments. So here's the three points today, because you're going to see this very clearly in the text. Very clearly. Number one is this. Deja vu, temptation to sin. David has the same opportunity. Deja vu, I've heard this before. Saul repents. We just heard him repent in 24. Same exact kind of speech. And then next chapter 27, deja vu, there's despair from David and just bad choices. He repeats chapter 21. So I want to look at this. This is really so weird when you read this. It's like these, God's put him through very similar circumstances. Did he learn? He did at times. He didn't at times. It's kind of nuanced. It's kind of mixed. So why don't we just read? Number one, deja vu, temptation to sin. Let's read chapter 26. You guys ready? First Samuel 26, verse one. Let's do it. It says, exactly kind of very similar, 24. The Ziphites, remember them? The Ziphites. They came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? I love these names. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Ahikla, which is beside the road east of Jeshimon. So fun. But David remained in the wilderness when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David sent out spies and he learned that Saul had indeed come. Verse five, then David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner. By the way, these are great names. Abner, do you know what Abner means? Abner means my father is Ner. So I love this. Abner, the son of Ner. My father is Ner, son of Ner. This Ner guy is pretty great. I don't know. I just love, kind of full of himself. <laughs> my father is Ner, son of Ner. Um, sorry, just so great. Maybe there's Abner or two out there. Your name's son of Ner, father of Ner, whatever. Um, my father is Ner. The commander of his army. So Abner is the commander of Saul's army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So they're lying there, they're sleeping. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother, Abishai, the son of Zariah, he says, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. Remember that spear, that infamous spear that he threw at David time and time again? just laying next to his head. 
He's asking for it, all right? And Abner, so he's laying there, speared by his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. I'm gonna pin him once to the head. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. That's what happens. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. Let's take the spear in the water. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Fascinating. This is so similar to chapter 24. Chapter 24, Saul is put in a vulnerable place again. Saul goes into the cave to use the bathroom. All his men are around him. Like, look at God has put Saul into your hand. Take his life. David cuts off a part of his garment. He feels immediately guilt for that. He's like, oh, I can't believe I've just cut off a piece of his garment. He just high conviction. And then he, when Saul walks out of the cave, he goes, Saul, I was there. Here's your garment. I could have killed you. Saul breaks down, weeps. He cries. He's like, David, forgive me. I, I don't know why I'm doing this. You know, it's really weird. This exact same thing happens in a different way. We're going to read the ending. Saul's going to have a very similar response. But Saul's sleeping in the camp. There's a spear by his head. There's a deep sleep from the Lord on them. You have Abishai going, hey, David, like this is obviously from God. Obviously God wants, I'll do it for you, David. You don't even have to do it and get your hands, but I'll do it. Let's one strike to the head. He's done, right? Like a very vulnerable situation again, opportunity to kill Saul again. He's like, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is crazy to me because in this lesson, here's what we see. We see Saul did not learn his lesson. Saul is like, David, I will not chase you. I'll not hunt you. I'll not try to kill you. But what does he do? Samuel dies in 25, chapter 26, he's ready to kill David again. Did Saul learn? No. Saul made false promises, false claims. David has an opportunity to kill him, and David learned. He's like, remember how I almost took matters into my own hands? Do you remember that in chapter 25? Remember how I almost killed Nabal and his men, and I didn't do that? God showed me not to take matters in my own hands? No, I'm not going to do that again. Remember this concept from a couple weeks ago, but just because there's an open door, it doesn't always mean the Lord wants you to walk through it. We got to be very careful of that. This is like the same kind of lesson here again. Open door, open opportunity to kill him. Doesn't necessarily mean it's from the Lord. So he's like, okay, there's an opportunity there, but opportunity doesn't mean it's from God. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give myself over to this. Saul didn't learn. David did learn. Here's what is fascinating about Saul, because we're going to, this is like really the last interaction we're going to see in just a second between them. But when you see Saul, Saul had an opportunity to actually, like he repented he had the opportunity to walk in that repentance and truly be a changed man, but he missed it. It was false repentance. It was fake repentance. I want you to hear this. Matthew Henry said, a commentator, he says, how soon do unsanctified hearts lose the good impressions which their convictions have made upon them and return with a dog to their vomit? He's like, gosh, he just made a confession. I'll never kill David. How soon do we forget? How soon do we forget the convictions God has placed in our hearts? Maybe God has placed like a conviction on your heart in some area, in some topic. He's like, don't go, don't give in. And you're like, yes, I won't. Like you, you made a statement like, like Saul, like I won't give in, I won't, I won't do this again. And then you find yourself back in that same situation. It's what the author of Proverbs talks about, like as a dog returns to vomit, so a man returns to his ways. That's Saul. David's being, it's really being compared and contrasted with David. David though learned. 
David's like, I learned, I didn't, I didn't kill you in 24. I want to kill Nabal. I want to go in that direction. I'm tempted to do that now, but I'm not going to, no, I'm not. There's no way. I'm not going to put my hand against the Lord's anointed. Saul didn't learn, David did learn. I have to read this because this is so profound. I mean, I think this point needs to be made. Uh, A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink, old school, famous preacher, author, said this about Saul. Listen to this. He says, the action of Saul here provides a solemn illustration of a well-known principle, right? The principle. If sin be not dethroned and mortified, it will soon recover its strength. And when a suitable temptation is presented, break out again with renewed force. Oh, my reader, beg God to deepen your convictions and write his law on your heart. Why do you hear that? If you don't dethrone sin or mortify it, kill it, it comes back with a strength, doublefold. I mean, do you not see this? If you like kind of go, oh, I'm, I'm sick of this sin. I don't want to do this. I don't want to give into this. I don't want to say this. I don't want to act this way. I don't want to, I don't. And you kind of partially repent or you kind of partially kill the sin. You can't really partially kill. It's either dethroned and mortified and killed and destroyed or it's not. And he's like, and if you don't, if you don't do that, if you don't end it, it will end you. It comes back with a greater strength. Paul said this way in Romans 6, 11, I thought it was so good. He says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He goes, and I, I love like the old school version. He's like, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And there has to be this, like Saul didn't have that. He was not dead to that sin. It was not dethroned. This is such a good lesson for us of like, if there's sin in your life, you're playing with it a little bit. Know this, if there's not full repentance, full, full dethronement of it, it will come back with a strength. Does not Jesus talk about this in Matthew 12? Do you remember Jesus in Matthew 12? He's talking about the, you know, the, the evil spirit in the man and the man cleans up his house and the spe- evil spirit leaves. And he's like, I'm doing pretty good. And then the evil spirit will come back with seven more wicked evil spirits and fill the man and the house was worse than it was the first place. The idea is like, and you see this over and over again. We have people we love and care about who've been in just like the addicted kind of state. Maybe they get clean for a moment, for a week. It's not fully dethroned. There's so much, there's so much there. And it comes back with the strength and you're like, oh, what, what happened there? You see that in small ways, in marriages and lives and family. Like, this little thing you don't think is a big deal. You kind of address it a little bit. There's no accountability. No one's speaking into it. No one walking with you through it. But then it comes back with a greater strength. I mean, this happens over and over again in different ways. Saul had an opportunity to learn. I just tried doing this. Like, you, I just, you just spared my life. And I promised, I vowed I'd never kill you. And here I am again, one chapter later, ready to kill you. So Saul didn't get it. Saul missed the point. And David is put in the same situation, deep sleep from the Lord, spear by his head. I feel like David, that spear is mentioned because David looked at the spear like, that's the spear. That's the one he threw at me over and over and over again, like three times. That's the spear. And David's like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna do this, but we'll take it. We'll take the jar of oil. We'll read what he does with it or the jar of water. You'll read what he does with it in just a second. But he's like, I'm not gonna give in. I'm not gonna do this. So here's what I wanna bring up today. Because this, this story is the same of chapter 24. Next chapter is the same of chapter 21. So stay with me. I do want to ask the simple question, why does God allow repeat lessons in our life? David already went through this. Saul already went through this. Why does God allow repeat lessons in our life? Or another way to put it, if you've ever had that thought, but God, I already went through this. Why does this happen? Like, why does he allow these things over and over again? Similar circumstances, trials, moments. Why does God allow the similar stories? If you've been like, I've already been there, done that. I thought, God, we already moved on from this. And God has you walking through a very similar moment. What is that about? I just have two simple points I want to make with this story. And just kind of with our text today. Number one is this. Temptation and trials are not a one-time thing. Number two, we have a bad memory. We desperately need to remember. 
Just look at the first one. Why does God allow us to go through this over and over again? First thing is this. Temptation and trials are not a one-time thing. I know you guys know this, but do we know this? It, it's bizarre to me when I talk to people who are like, I thought I beat this. Why is it back in my life? Jesus has this famous thing he said in Luke 14. He says, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. There's this idea that as soon as you think, like, I, I beat this, I'm standing. It's like, oh, be careful. When I talk to people who are like, oh, that was a sin in my life. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Sin is sneaky. Like, we gotta be, we, like, we gotta, remember, we pick up the cross daily and follow Jesus. There is this idea that, like, oh, it's gonna, it might sneak back in your life. And temptation and trials are not a one-time thing. And I want to read what James says about this, because he actually makes a, a difference between temptation and trials. Maybe you read this first and like questions around this. So James chapter one, in regard to this topic and text, James one, verse 12, listen to this. We'll put the verse up here. James says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, look at trial, test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. How beautiful is that? Let no one say when he is tempted, now he's changed to temptation, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. I want to just point this out really quick. First of all, like the big picture, he's saying, if you remain steadfast under trials, under testing, there's a crown of life for those of you who love God. I love that James is trying to give you the end picture in mind. There are these crowns. The Bible talks about different crowns for different reasons, but I love this one. He goes, if you love God, if you've endured and you're steadfast during trials and testing, there is a crown of life. You might not care about that now, different crowns, but I guarantee you will care about the crowns one day. Guarantee. And he's like, if you love the Lord, if you endure steadfastly, and I feel like this is what David's, David's really like, trials and testing is not a one-time thing. Like I have to be, just because I beat it once doesn't guarantee I will beat it again. Do we get that? Just because you beat it once does not guarantee you're going to beat it today. That's why it's like today, today I need to pick up my cross. Today I need to fight this again. Don't think I beat it yesterday, I'm going to beat it today. So David is walking through this. Now I also want to put the, the, he makes a very clear distinction. He goes, now temptation does not come from God. God doesn't tempt anyone. Let me put it this way. Maybe this can be helpful. Um, God does put us through tests and trials. I absolutely believe that, but he does not tempt us. Maybe, so for example, maybe the, the test or the trial is you lost your job. This person broke your heart. Your bills are just piling up, whatever. There's a test. That's not a temptation. But underneath the test, what happens? Well, this person broke my heart. I'm just gonna go explore other relationships, give into my desires, look at whatever I wanna look at, do whatever I wanna do. God put you in the test but the temptation was not from him. The test and the trial, you lost your job. Some broke up from you. Trial test from God. But the temptation, that's not from God. You can't blame God. God, why would you do this? Why would you make me look at this? I can't believe, that's not the Lord, right? Sometimes we blame God. That's like, no, that's not him. The trial and the test was there to be revealing, to purify, to do something in you, to work in you. But with the test and trial, maybe came that temptation. So here's the test. David's being chased again by Saul. Temptation to kill. God's allowing the tests and the trial. Temptation for David is take matters into your own hands. Like, let, let you need to be God. You need to do this. And there's temptation in a sense. He goes, no, 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 no. I learned from the Nabal story. I'm not going to take matters in my own hands. I'm not going to do that. So I, want us, I do want us to see this. Temptation and trials are a part of life. Absolutely. 
Like, absolutely, it's going to happen in different ways. I want to say this, remain steadfast. Don't be surprised when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work in you. Don't be surprised when you go, didn't I already go through this, God? Like, God, I thought, I, I thought you, already, you showed me this. And God's like, yes, but I'm not done yet. Maybe, there's a, maybe you thought you beat this, or maybe you thought you learned a lesson, but I want to teach you this now again. And I want you to think, like, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And I do think the Lord's like, I'm going to let you go through this, because I, I want to reveal that you're not done yet. Guys, I'm not done yet, obviously. God's not done with me yet. I haven't arrived spiritually. I'm not where I ought to be. And like, there's something really good about, Paul had that mindset in Philippians 3. He goes, brethren, we have not apprehended. We have not made it yet. We have not attained it yet. But one thing I do, forget those things are behind and press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's like, I will, I will, I'm not, God's not done with me yet. Trials and temptations, it's gonna be part of life. I shouldn't be surprised by this. It shouldn't like throw me off. This is gonna be part of it. And David's like, again, he's going through like, I just went through this. I just went through this. With 24, with Nabal, and God's like, yeah, yeah, I wanna show you this again. And it's so cool, David did well here. Not next chapter, but he did well here. <laughs> he learned his lesson here. And it's very sweet. Saul did not learn his lesson here. Saul missed the point. And I also do believe, why does God put the trials on repeat? Because listen, I really do believe this. I believe it's simply because we have a bad memory and we desperately need to remember. So stay with me on this thought. But I feel like, God, why am I going through this again? God's like, maybe you forgot what I taught you the first time. Maybe you didn't really see everything I had for you. Maybe you thought you learned everything you could learn, but you're not done yet. Did you know that the, the idea of remember, remember, is mentioned over 250 times in the Bible? Over 250 times, God's like, remember. Like, why does he say it so much? Because it's important. How many times does God say, don't forget, do not forget, remember. When you enter into the land, remember the promise. Like, over and over again, this idea of like, remember is so key to our faith. We are a forgetful people and God has called us to remember. Like, don't forget, when I showed up in your life, David, when I protected you, when I did all those things for you, you're forgetting everything I've done. You cannot forget. I really do believe like the key to success in the Christian life is we have to remember God and his promises. Like if you want to have a successful, by successful, I mean like a thriving, fruitful, spiritual life with God, you have to remember the wickedness sin brings you to, what it does, but the goodness and the grace of God and what that does. Like you have to remember like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go down that path because I remember what that took me to. I remember what that did in my heart, my mind. I, I want to remember that. But I also want to remember what God has saved me from. Like, I want to remember what God did in my life. I don't want to forget that, the, the redemption and joy I had when God broke those things out of my life. Like, I really do believe this is so key to the Christian life is remember. How many times do we see this in the New Testament? It's 2 Peter 1. Listen to this. Peter says, I will not neglect to remind you always of these things. Though you know, I know you know, I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Peter's like, I just want to remind you of things you already know. I want to know that after I'm gone, after I'm dead, you need to remember the things I taught you. Like, isn't this not true? Like when you think about legacy and passing things on to the next generation, to your kids, your grandkids, or maybe wherever you're at. But the idea of like, I need, I'm going to be gone. I'm not going to be here one day. You need to remember everything I've shared with you. Remember don't forget. I'm just here to remind you. If you ever feel like church is on repeat sometimes, like, okay, because God's trying to remind you. It's okay, right? I love this. God's a really good teacher, and good teachers repeat themselves. Let me repeat that. Good teachers repeat themselves. Okay, but this is so important. This is so important. When you feel like scriptures are time and time again, it's like, God, I thought I learned this, and he's like, no, 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 not yet. Like, David, I'm gonna put you through this again. Remember, remember, do not forget. Um, 
church, before I move on from this point, I think this is, so, this is just so key. When, I'm reading, when I was reading this this week, I'm like, Lord, I feel like I'm reading the exact same thing, which is very similar to 24. 27, I'm like, okay, the exact same thing as 21. What is going on here? And it's like, I don't know if we remember. I don't know if we remember God's promises. David's going to forget God's promises next chapter. He's going to forget. He remembers right now, but he's going to forget. He's going to forget God's promises. He's going to become self-absorbed and think, I'm going to die. God left me. He's going to forget. And I really do believe there's these, these stories on repeat where God's like, don't think just because you overcame it once, you'll overcome it again. You need to take it day by day, day by day, day by day. Don't be surprised when you're, you're faced with various trials. This is not, temptation is not from God. Testing trials, yes, temptation, no. And you know that if you remain steadfast, you receive a crown of life. And you need to remember all that I've done for you. And don't forget. And so David does really good here. He does good. But we're going to see number two, and we won't spend too much time on number two, but number two, what we're going to see is deja vu, number two, deja vu, uh, I've heard this before, all right? So David's going to hear the same speech Paul gave, or Saul gave to him in chapter 24. Listen to this. Then David, verse 13, let's keep reading. He has, remember, he has a spear, he has the water. Then David went over to the other side, and he stood afar off on the top of the hill, and with a great space between them, he's smart, and David called to the army, and to Abner, the son of Ner. Again, you got to say it. When you say Abner, you got to say son of Ner. I don't know. <laughs> he said to Abner, son of Ner, <laughs> saying, will you not answer Abner? Then Abner answered. He says, who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing that you've done is not good. <laughs> As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not watched over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the, the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. He's like, see it? I got it. Verse 17. Saul then recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? I love it. My son, he's so scary, man. He's all over the place. He is. Wants to kill him. He's like, my son. Oh. Is this not my, my son, O king? He says, verse 18. Notice he says, O king. Oh, sorry, David says, my king. He says, and David says, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil's on my hands? Same thing he says in 24. Now, therefore, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord saying, go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Again, he calls himself like a flea. I'm just like a flea. Verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return my son, David, for I will no more do you harm. Do you trust that? Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all my tribulation. Yes. Then Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son, David. You will do many things that will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. I mean, this is the exact same thing we see in 24. He's like, look, I could have killed you. And he goes, oh, my son, 
I've sinned. I will no longer pursue you and chase after you. And David's probably like, sure. We're going to see. No, he does not believe him. Next chapter, next verse, actually. David's going to be in a deep despair. But I want you to hear this. David's like, come on. We've already played this game. We've already done this. I've, I've already had the chance to kill you and I spared you. Don't you see? I'm loyal to you. I'm righteous. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I, I could have again. And actually, here's what's interesting. Just side note. This is the last conversation between Saul and David. These are the last words exchanged between them from what we have recorded. This is the last thing. A repeat conversation of 24. Again, David seemed to have learned when, when Saul didn't. David's like, I'm, yeah, I'm done. Don't you know? Like, I'm, I'm not going to do it. So stop pursuing me and chasing after me. David learned, Saul didn't. This conversation, I don't know if you've ever had that before, by the way, where someone hurts you. Like, oh, forg- forgive me. I'm so sorry. All right, I forgive you. They hurt you. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. Like, I think we've done this before, right? And then David's just learning this. He's just seeing this. He's walking through this. And he's just like, oh, what's going on here? We've had this conversation. Here's the thing. He says something. Saul says something I think is so profound because I actually think it's a reference to last week. So here's what he says. He says in verse 21, he says, behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. Or I like the new King James. He says, indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. He says, I've played the fool. I've been a fool. Like, yes, you have. Yes, Saul, you've been the fool. Nabal, remember Nabal last week? His word means folly or fool. Nabal was a fool. Saul's a fool. David's the only one being wise at this moment. I could have, I didn't do it. And he goes, I played the part of a fool. It's sad because if you look at Saul's life, this will be Saul's legacy. Saul had everything going for him. Like if you think about Saul's life, you think about Samuel anointing him, the people are behind him. There's so much around Saul initially. He's the first king of Israel. He's the first king, the king they've wanted, the king they're like longing for and asking for. And the way to sum up his legacy is he's played the fool. Just time and time again, he didn't seek God. He didn't pursue, he, he just assumed everything was the Lord and he didn't really seek him in any way. He just played the fool time and time again. This will be Saul's legacy. On his tombstone, it could just be played the fool. <laughs> That's what he was. It makes you think and go, man, Lord, have I taken advantage of everything you've given me? Like what you've given me, am I being wise with it or am I playing the fool? Saul had everything. To, he had everything he needed for success, and yet his life will end in tragedy. It is so sad. He misses it. There's a famous passage, and rather than me trying to say it or do it, there's this famous passage by this author named um, uh, J. Sidlow Baxter, and he talks about Saul playing the fool. And I just want to read it to you because he talks about how do we play the fool, and it's so profound. Here's what he says. Listen to this. It's a little bit longer. He says, a man plays the fool. Listen. When he neglects his godly friends, as Saul neglected Samuel. A man plays the fool when he goes on enterprises for God before God has sent him as Saul did. A man plays the fool when he disobeys God even in seemingly small matters as Saul at first did. For such disobedience nearly always leads on to worse default. A man plays the fool when he tries to cover up his disobedience to God by religious excuses as Saul did. To obey is better than sacrifice. A man plays the fool when he tries to persuade himself that he is doing the will of God as Saul tried to persuade himself when all the time, deep down in his heart, he knows otherwise. A man plays the fool when he allows some jealousy or hatred to master and enslave and deprave him as Saul did toward David. A man plays the fool when he knowingly fights against God as Saul did in hunting David to save his own face. A man plays the fool when he turns from God, from the God he has grieved, 
and seeks an alternative in spiritism and traffic with spirits in the beyond. We'll see that in two weeks. The end of all these ways of sin and folly is moral and spiritual suicide. We can only finish, finish any such downgrade course with the pathetic groan of Saul, I have played the fool. We can't play the fool. We need to learn from this. We need to learn from the Nables. We need to learn from the Sauls because I played the fool, David. Imagine that's just your life time and time again. He's playing the fool. David's like, I I swear we've had this conversation before. Didn't you already repent over and over again? And we're still having this conversation. A a fool is someone who does not learn from his folly, someone who does not learn from his sin, who does not truly repent and truly find restoration and redemption in all that God has for him. For us, it's in Christ Jesus. When you don't really surrender and say, I'm no longer gonna do what I think, but not my way, but your way be done. You're going to play the fool as long as you never say, Lord, your way, not my way. Once you say, Lord, your way, you've entered into wisdom. <laughs> Once you say, Lord, not my way, but your way, you're finally beginning to get it. When you have the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. Saul did not have that. He just played the fool. He missed it. He has the same conversation with David. We're going to move on because it's just the deja vu story. But number three, we're going to see this actually. Notice that this, this is how it ends. This is it, by the way. This, it ends between David and Saul, like in this way. No more conversations. We're going to see Saul's tragic ending in two weeks. But this is basically the ending between them. I still don't believe it. True repentance. We'll see how it ends. But anyways, David doesn't really believe him. As you can understand, David does not trust him. So we're going to see number three. Deja vu, despair, and bad choices. Let's look at number three. And this is just, again, a few verses in chapter 27. 27, look at verse 1. Then David said in his heart. So after he just apologizes. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. What? (laughs) There is nothing better for me then that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Notice his reasoning. So David arose and went, went over, he and his 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Chapter 21, same thing, that's what he did. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So obviously he's still seeking him. Verse five, then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months, 16 months. Stay, okay, so bear with me. David's like, oh, I can't get away from the Saul guy. I'm gonna go to Achish, king of Gath. David did this in chapter 21. Do you remember the same the story? He goes to Achish, king of Gath. Remember, Gath is part of the Philistia. It's part of the Philistine army. He's the king of that city. He goes to him for help. Remember when he goes to him and the people go, we know who you are. Don't people sing songs about you? Like Saul has slain his thousands, David's tens of thousands. Remember, David got freaked out. He started acting a fool. Remember that story? He starts acting crazy. And they're like, this guy's crazy. Get him out of here. So he goes back to that guy. That's what David's doing. He's going back to the guy where he just acted crazy years earlier. And he's like, maybe you'll help me this time. Maybe this time it will work. He also forgot. David was also quick to forget. Yes, he he passed the test in 26, but immediately he said in his heart, Saul is going to kill me. I'm going to perish. I need us to really hear this and see this because it's crazy. David forgot all of the promises that God has given him at this point. Because notice that he says, I'm going to die at the hand of Saul. Didn't God promise through Samuel the prophet, you are the anointed king of Israel? Didn't God promise through Jonathan say, you will one day be the king of Israel? And he gave him his robe and his sword. Didn't God speak prophetically through Abigail and say, you are the true king and you will rule and reign righteously. Time and time again, God is reminding him of who he is. 
and he goes, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, that's his thought. My future is death at the hand of Saul. It's like, David, you, don't you like, know the promises of God over your life? You're not. How do you fall into this despair so quickly? How do you go? You're going back to Achish, king of Gath. Gath is where Goliath is from. The people, like, they don't like you there. You killed their guy. Gath, you killed, you killed Goliath. And like, that's their city. And he's going back to the enemy for help. It's like, didn't God show you this in chapter 21? This does not work. This will not work. Why are you going to the enemy for help? And David, in this moment of despair, makes terrible choices, awful choices. And I have to point this out because I think it really began, look at verse 27, verse one, chapter 27, verse one. It began in his heart. It says, David said in his heart. This is the problem. I think the problem so oftentimes is like what we say in our heart. It, there, there are those moments, and I do this all the time. Do we not have terrible self-talk? Where you're like, oh, that conversation, why did they, they look at me that way? And you have like a self-talk as you walk away and like you just develop the story of this narrative in your head that's not true, that's not good, that's not healthy. And you're playing into it. And you're like, next time I see them, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And like it was just terrible self-talk. Like how did it get there? David said in his heart, and I love how the Bible does this. It records what we say in our heart. Isn't that so cool? <laughs> God's like, oh, let me just record what David said in his heart that day. Like God knows what's going on in our heart. But if you notice this, there is this thing in his heart he's saying, I'm gonna perish the hands of Saul. And here's why I bring this up. And I think this is so important. We have so much insight in the life of David through the Psalms. It is believed by most people, there are zero Psalms written in chapter 27. Chapter 26 and 27. There's no real Psalm we can attribute and say, David wrote this during that time. David is 16 months in the land of Gath and he doesn't appear to be writing a Psalm. 16 months of like a dry spell, it seems, in his faith. 16 months, like he's missing it because it, he began to say in his heart, and here's why I love the Psalms, and here's why I love David, because um, David's very honest at different points. David does come out of these different, and we know he writes more Psalms, obviously, Psalm 51, Psalm 32. There's so many more Psalms David's going to write, so many more beautiful Psalms he's going to write. But there seems to be this dry spell in his life. And when you read some of the Psalms of David, David so often talks to himself or talks to his soul. And I think you know what I'm talking about, but I think it's so profound to bring up because here's the idea. How do you fight bad self-talk with good self-talk? Like meaning you, with, self, with biblical gospel centered self-talk. How do you fight those bad things you create in your mind, those bad, that bad self-talk? Well, fight it with better scriptural self-talk. Here's what David does. Psalm 42. I love this. Psalm 42, David says, uh, Psalm 42 verse five. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He goes, why are you cast down, O my soul? And he says to his soul, hope in God. Do you notice that? Like he will talk to his soul a lot. There will be those moments, I'll just say this, to have success in your Christian life, when you feel down, when you have weird self-talk, you go, soul, 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 stop it. Hope in God. Like that is so important. When you begin to say something about someone in your mind or heart or say something about God in your mind or heart, like, God, why, I don't trust, like, God, what? Whatever that is. And then you have to tell your soul, soul, you know better. You know better, hope in God. Listen to this, it's Psalm uh, 103, verse one. We know this very well. We sing it a lot. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that, is in with, all that is in within me. Bless his holy name. Listen to this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What does he do? He forgives all of your iniquity who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. I feel like he's writing about this moment. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagles. He goes, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You need to bless him. Don't forget, soul. Don't forget his forgiveness. Don't forget how he heals you and restores you. Soul, you cannot forget. David forgot at this point. 
Another verse, Psalm 116. He says to his soul, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You can rest, soul. Psalm 146, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will sing praise. Uh, I will sing praise to the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He's like, soul, praise God. Why I'm bringing these verses up? Because notice David so often writes to his soul. He's like writing this, he's like, soul, soul, hope in God. Soul, praise the Lord. You need to praise God. Soul, don't forget his benefits. Don't forget what he's healed you from. There's something really powerful about this. When you are in deep despair, like David, he didn't have good self-talk at this point in time. I do believe later he comes out of this and he begins to write to his soul. Soul, soul, you need to hope in God. You need to trust in God. Don't forget his benefits, soul. Listen, again, when you create these narratives and you walk away from something and you just start saying terrible things in your heart about someone or about God himself, and you're beginning to have this awful self-talk, I'd say, turn to these Psalms, remember this, don't forget his benefits, tell your soul, soul, remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. You can't be a victim when Jesus Christ died for you and shed his own blood for you. You are a victor. You can live with confidence and boldness. You don't have to live in a state anymore. Do not forget his benefits. Do not forget what he's done for you, soul. Soul, hope in God. There's something powerful about this. You will notice... In this chapter, David does not pray once. Do you notice actually in 27, we're going to see God's not mentioned. God's not talked about. I think it's like we forget to have good self-talk. We forget to pray. We see all the things he's doing wrong here. He's like, he's missing it in chapter 27. He's missing the point. There's something incredibly healthy about speaking to your soul in this way. I don't want to move on too fast from this. David turns to the enemy again for help. It's almost like, David, you just did this in 21. You just learned this was not a good idea, and yet you're doing it again. I'm very thankful the Bible portrays these heroes of the faith as just very flawed humans. Crazy flawed humans. It just gets worse. Let's just keep reading. All right, let's get worse. Verse 8. Now David and his men, so they're with the king of Achish. He gave them Ziklag. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Malachites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, and the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. So he'd go to Achish and say, hey, when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, and he's going to lie, against the Negeb of Judah, or against the Negeb, like the, it just means like south, the south of the Jeremiahites, um, or against the Negeb of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and, and, and say, so David has done. Look what David has done. So such was his custom. All the, while, all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish, listen, Achish trusted David thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. That's how it ends. Listen to this. So David is basically, he's, He's the armor. He's actually protecting Akish. He's sent out on these raids. On these raids, I want you to be, I want to be really clear just so you know what he's doing, actually. He's not raiding the people that Akish thinks he's raiding. He's actually, he's basically going on these raids against the, the enemies of Israel. Some people point out, like, he's actually doing what Joshua was supposed to do to expel like the Amalekites and these different tribes from their land. So in some ways, people will say, look at David is fulfilling Joshua's order and Joshua's command. Actually, even fighting against the Amalekites, remember, uh, King Saul was supposed to deal with the Amalekites. They're back. They're back. They're actually going to be back in chapter 30 and take David's wives. They're back. Um, but here's the point. David's fighting against the Amalekites. They're supposed to wipe out in 1 Samuel 15. So some look at this as good. And like, look at David's actually doing what Joshua and Saul should have done. But when you read this, you're going, man, this isn't good. Like, this is like, tough to read. 
He's raiding these people. He's lying to Achish, which some people could argue is good, but you're like, David's just a liar. He's lying. Oh, I'm, I'm raiding the, the, this Negev of this people. Like he's lying about who he's raiding. So he's actually claiming I'm raiding against the people of Judah, if you notice that. So, so this is what Achish is thinking. He's going, yes, he's going to be a stench to the nation of Israel. He's raiding his own people. He's killing his own people. He's not killing his own people. He's lying to Achish. But here's what's going to happen. Achish thinks he's very loyal. In chapter 29, there's supposed to be a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David is actually with Achish, ready to fight the people of Israel. The commanders of of the Philistine armies go, why is David with you, Achish? He cannot be here. And they ask David basically to leave. And Achish is like, I trust you, David. You've been loyal to me. I wish you'd be fighting with me. Like he was about to fight his own people. Luckily, God, by his grace and mercy, spares him from fighting his own people. So there you go. That's chapter 29, just so you know. That's what he does. But he's put in this terrible place. He's lying. He's going on these raids. He's like taking people's lives. Some say it's good because he's doing what Joshua and God commanded him to do. Others are saying, yo, David might be just exploiting the people. It, whatever this is, you look on and go, this is not the, this, this is the king of Israel. This is the king that people have longed for and hoped for. And then it ends there. Can I say this? I was so tempted this week to find something positive. I'm not going to end with anything positive, really. I was so tempted to be like, how can I twist this and like make it somewhat good? It's no. Like it just ends with, and the, the king going, he's going to be a stench to his people. That's how it ends. Here's why I bring this up. Sometimes we need to see our heroes in the faith in this light. Sometimes we need to go, oh, wow, they're sinners like us. Oh, wow, they blow it like us. David's a liar. He lies to Ahimelech. He asks Jonathan to lie. He lies about Uriah eventually, we're going to see. He lies here. David's a liar. David will eventually repent of that. <clears throat> Psalm 120 verse 2, David says, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Like he's going to repent of that. God, I'm a liar. Deliver me from that. But it just ends with David just going on these raids being the servant of King Achish of the Philistines. That's where it ends. Here's why I want to bring this up again. David forgot. David truly forgot all the promises God had for him. Like he forgot, you're going to be the king. You're not going to die. You're not going to die at the hand of Saul. You don't need to go to the enemy. Didn't you? Like you forgot this lesson and you're going back to it. And I really do believe, and here's the value of this. David forgot, so we need to remember David forgot, David sinned, David blew it just like anyone else would. So you and I must remember. You and I must remember that all these even heroes of the faith, as flawed as they are, what it really does is say, I want, where is the one true righteous hero? And there's only one and his name is Jesus. And we must remember him. We can look at the Davids of the faith and say, wow, look at all they did for God. And there's some things worth praising, but there's a lot of things David did that are pretty messed up. Pretty, we'll see more. And what it does for you and I is say, no, no, there's one true, righteous, good king. There's one true hero of the Bible. It is not David. It is the son of David, King Jesus. That is the hero we look to. That is the hero we remember. That is the hero we celebrate. And can I tell you, this kind of ends with David in sense, in like sin and rebellion with the enemy. And so you and I must remember that Jesus has paid for that sin, that we don't have to continue in sin. You and I must remember. That's why today, this day, we're going to take communion to say, we're going to remember all of his benefits we're going to remember that he heals us he forgives us he restores us and that's what communion is by the way do you know that communion is simply remembering that's what we do we remember communion is saying jesus you broke your body you shed your blood for the forgiveness of sins and we remember and we celebrate that by your stripes we are healed jesus and i will be like i will fall and fail and sin like david but you are the true hero of the story and i remember you jesus i remember you the king jesus the son of david the only one that could satisfy the longings of our heart the only one that could bring a kingdom that is perfectly peaceful and just and holy and righteous that is your kingdom and so here's what i do grab your 
communion. We are going to take communion in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Worship team's going to come up. I'm going to ask you simply to remember. Listen, remember. I have one verse I want to share with you. It's 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. It says this. You can, well, you can read it with me. It says, In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. Communion is one of those things we say, we remember you, Jesus. We bring you to the forefront of our mind. Because Jesus, you gave your life. You were that sacrifice that satisfied the righteous wrath of God so that you and I could now be at peace with God and have the love of God and joy of God. And we say, Jesus, we remember you. David forgot in this moment. He forgot your promises. He forgot your benefits. But thankfully, we will see him remember and he'll write Psalm 103 and say, soul, don't forget his benefits. Don't forget his healing. Don't forget his salvation. Don't forget his forgiveness. And I would just plead with you today, this morning, as we take communion, remember Jesus. Remember what he saved you from. Remember from the the lifestyle he saved you from, from the bad choices that you've made, from the despair you've been in like David. Remember Jesus. We look at communion as a time to say, Jesus, I remember. I remember where I was without you. I remember where you brought me to now, where I am now. I remember. I will not forget your benefits. I will not forget your salvation. I will not forget you, Jesus. I want to learn from David's mistakes. Why do you put his through it over and over again? God's saying, don't forget, remember, remember. I would just I encourage you, church, to remember the cross of Calvary, to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, to remember that you and I were far from God, dead in our sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, has saved us. Yes, yes, amen, remember Jesus, remember the cross. So take this cup. If you believe in Jesus, if you remember, just take this time to remember him. If you receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus, eat and drink and remember and celebrate and thank him. If you do not believe in Jesus, you are invited to the table to eat and drink. You can believe on him now. You can receive him now. The table is open, but I'd say believe on him. How, how could you remember something you don't believe in? So you believe, confess, declare your need for Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe and I remember you and I look to you. So church, why don't you just bow your heads quick. I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm gonna ask while you are ready, when you are ready at your own time during worship up here, you take, you eat, you remember. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. We thank you that though we sin time and time again, God, you are faithful, faithful. God, you ask us to remember that Jesus is risen from the grave. Remember the Lord Jesus. We remember. Father, we look to you. Help us not forget all of your benefits. Lord, we ask that um, your word would just truly be written on our hearts so we might not sin against you. That God, we would speak to our soul in those moments. Soul, hope in God. Don't forget his benefits. But Lord, that we'd also call upon you and pray and seek you and look to you, Jesus. God, I thank you that I, I know that we will have these moments of highs and lows like David. But Lord, we just wanna thank you that you are that anchor, that constant, that though we have highs and lows, you are immovable. And we just praise you and thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for what you've left us how we just want to remember you now and praise you now. In your name, Jesus. Church, take, eat, and drink when you are ready.